In this episode of New Abolitionist Radio, TAG connects from the field with other activists participating in protests at three different jails in New York City. The protests were in coordination and solidarity with Palestinian prisoners, with April the 17th being designated Palestinian Prisoners Day. TAG spoke with Johanna Fernandez of the campaign to bring Momia home, Grace and Bailey of IWOC NYC over the phone from each of their protest locations. Abolitionists worldwide, including those in New York City, engaged in an all-day phone, fax, and social media zap to pressure officials administrating legalized slavery in the midst of the global pandemic. Palestinian prisoners have a central yet simple message that says, from the river to the sea, all the prisoners must be freed. And it is in that spirit that new abolitionists joined them in solidarity on the global issue of legalized prison slavery. During the episode, we will also hear calls from prisoners trapped behind bars during a global pandemic. We now have Grace on the line from IWOC NYC to provide us with an update on activities that have been going down today in solidarity with Palestinian Prisoners Day, as well as in solidarity with and in abolitionist support of incarcerated people uh, throughout New York, throughout the country, and globally. So we are in touch uh, on the ground right now. Uh, we have Grace, and we would like to hear from you. Um, what what are you seeing? What what have you uh, encountered just now as part of these activities? We know that there's been uh, all day phone zaps, faxes, social media blasts, uh, not only around these uh, prison plantations in New York and in the United States, but also globally, uh, especially in Palestine, where we know that the youth incarceration is just abysmal and under occupation conditions, uh, those, those sisters and brothers in Palestine and all of uh, those that we're in solidarity with there are, are under some of the most brutal conditions. And likewise here in New York, which is being called the epicenter of this uh, virus outbreak. So could you just um, talk to us about some of your your uh, off-top impressions of the activities today, especially uh, the uh, on-the-ground activities that, that you were just a part of? Yeah, so one of the actions that we did in solidarity with folks on the internet side was organized an outside um, faction and we were just outside of MDC Brooklyn 430. We had about 10 cars, multiple people on bikes and walking and we just wanted to reach folks on the inside and amplify voices so we had recordings of folks on the inside so we could play them and people on the inside of MDC Brooklyn could hear other incarcerated folks and the families of incarcerated people as well. And we had chants amplifying the need to free people, not only here, but in Palestine and worldwide. So it was a strong show of solidarity, and the whole time we were hearing people on the inside of MBC Brooklyn banging on their windows. Um, we could see some of them with fists in the air, showing how they 
sincere solidarity and wanted to connect with us. So it was going amazing. And then at 5.30, um, a bunch of pigs showed up and started to try repress us, um, telling us we needed to stop double parking, even though no other cars were around, telling us we needed to get on sidewalks, telling us we needed to stop using our bullhorn to reach the people on the inside, um, and ended up giving two tickets, one to um, our half watch car, um, in fact, for supposedly double parking, and then another one to the car holding our MC, Sister Johanna and Reverend Dolomar LeBron. Um, so we'll be doing everything we can to fight those, but just the fact that the pig priorities right now is to further repress people trying to reach folks on the inside and prevent this genocide was absolutely abysmal. So that's, um, that's what I saw on my end. Greatly appreciate that. And it should be surprising, but these flavors behavior is consistent outbreak or no outbreak. And so uh, could you just speak a little bit more about this repression that you're referring to? What what kinds of things were the slave patrollers trying to say as far as you mentioned double parking? I mean, what, what could they really say uh, under these current conditions where cars aren't even out in the street like that? Uh, what what other kinds of excuses and justifications were, were they giving for why they would attempt to get in the way of making these connections across the Exactly. Well, they just kept kind of repeating, it doesn't matter, does the pandemic stop the law? Does, does it mean that we shouldn't still enforce this? And of course, we would respond with yes. <laughs> but they just kept going back to the quote-unquote line, upholding quote-unquote law and order as always. So that is um, what they continue to say in response. And as far as the connection that you were pointing toward uh, with, with heads on the inside and, and how they uh, were expressing that they, they saw y'all, that they heard, um, and that they felt that the support was there. Uh, you, you mentioned also that there were loved ones and family members who uh, participated directly and who were able to call in as well as um, pre-recorded calls from the inside. Uh, could you could you elaborate a little bit on on that part of the action, especially uh, family members and loved ones who called in? What what was what was your experience with that? Um, what were some of the main uh, demands and uh, concerns that they expressed? Exactly. Yeah. So it was definitely an important piece was not only showing our solidarity with incarcerated folks, but also showing that people are struggling everywhere inside. And because of the difficulty of people in different facilities connecting, we wanted to bridge that gap any way we could by amplifying the voices from other facilities into this one and also amplify loved ones' voices who are demanding freedom immediately because they are worried and scared for their loved ones. Some of them have ones that have higher risk medical conditions. But of course, as we know, the way that the prison architecture is, everyone inside is high risk. Um, so, yeah, the main demands were just, we need everyone, emergency clemency now. Um, and really just fear, but also um, grateful for our solidarity. And um, the last um, first few called has someone on the inside at Rikers. And so we furthered that, yeah, every single facility everywhere, we need to be doing these actions. We need to be freeing people, 
showing solidarity and doing everything we can to demand freedom all from New York City to Palestine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Respect. And I know that you need to make moves and want to certainly make sure that, that you're not uh, in any harm's way behind these slave patrollers uh, shortly after this solidarity action. Uh, Br Brother Scotty, I don't know if uh, you wanted to jump in with any questions or if you had any comments, but uh, speaking to what you just mentioned, Grace, uh, given that we're now in this context of so-called shelter in place and all of the social distancing factors, uh, what would you say to those that may be contemplating, you know, having an action um, on the outside in this moment? Uh, what, are, what are some observations from your recent experience about how best to make that happen? And, uh, and how others could make sure that they're staying safe while still making their voices heard. Yes, definitely um, a, a good point to raise. I think preparing as much as possible, making sure that everyone has needed supplies, masks, gloves, protective equipment as needed, um, but also, and our socially distanced, but also in addition, making sure there are ways to plug in virtually because there are people who are higher risk or for whatever reason cannot come out. And um, for anyone who wants to participate, um, who cannot in person, it's important to uplift those voices as we, as we did on the phone or in other ways um, with the phones app. But I think at the end of the day, what we are really trying to convey is that this is essential. It is essential to demand freedom for those on the inside and so that's why we're here we it is a risk of life um and it is a risk to be out even with all of the precautions but it is we are doing it because it is absolutely essential that these people are freed okay my name is Eric. I'm located at AMKC, uh, Rackers Island. Um, we in dorms, and um, basically it's like a, it's, it's sort of like a medical dorm. But what we have right now is like it's usually 50 people in a dorm. So right now we're probably down to about 41 people, and it's kind of hard to stay away from six feet away from each other. And you know the beds are like side by side. The beds are not even three feet apart from each other. So it's kind of hard to keep the social distance away and stuff like that. We don't have the right proper. Uh, supplies that we need for as cleaning supplies. They have some blue stuff called solution. And that's not like, it's not like disinfectant. I usually use that to clean up the pantry area where I work at. So far as like, as the bathroom and everything else, like they just even a solution. They took the spray bottles away that we used to have bleach in and we can't get those spray bottles no more. So it's like, it's, it's real like the unsanitary trying to keep this place clean and uh, there's so many people in the dorm. It's like, it's, it's more easier for us to get infected. For, as far as, uh, for the best of my knowledge, going by what the media say on the news, the masks are only good. They, they like regular surgical masks. The mask is only good for eight hours. The, the DOC is telling us that they're good for, um, for 24 hours. Yes, the phone calls has been free. We haven't had business. They, they just uh, suspended our business. But they are supposedly, allegedly, they're supposed to give us like uh, these little tablet thingies with tablets where we can watch movies on. And I'm not sure if we can like do like a FaceTime or a video conference through the tablets. I'm not sure how that works, but uh, we haven't received the tablets yet. 
I mean, people are like, everybody is like real scared and panicking and like, I mean, which they should because of what's going on in the news. And then a few of the, or one of the correctional officers came in one day and she was like, you have one minute left. Somebody in here is infected. So now we've seen on the news that a couple of correctional officers are infected and it's also 188 inmates that are infected. But as far as none in our dorm, but they have removed a few people that had the symptoms from our dorm. Uh, they, just, they just keep saying, basically, they put up signs and they're saying to wash our hands and stay six feet away from each other. And then they just distribute the mask. So that's the, that's the only thing they have told us about. And everything, basically, we just getting from the news. So we know all this already, but they just now reaching out to us and telling us, you know, with the washing our hand part and stuff like that. So what do you think should be done? I know you're about out of time. Oh, man, I think that they should just... Uh, <laughs> I think they should really release a lot of these um, inmates in here. And just, Thank you for using. Well, I mean, basically, like we need the right the right amount of um, cleaning products and supplies that we that we need to uh, basically stay healthy and kill all these germs and bacteria that's floating around in here. And um, most of us that have real health issues, like myself, I'm an asthmatic. Um, Redden, he's also uh, he has high blood pressure. He's a diabetic too. So we had like a real high risk of catching this virus because of our medical condition. We was just hoping that you know maybe that somebody, a lot of our people on the outside can reach contact with our lawyers and everything like that to see if they can like get us out of here, get us on house arrest or something. A lot of us don't are afraid of you know being sick and dying in, in, in prison. And me, this is like my first time ever even being incarcerated or being in any type of trouble that I'm in right now. So it's kind of like, it's kind of hard for me too. And I have four children out there. We will need more, uh, we will need gloves. We will need masks. We will need uh, our spray bottles that we usually have because like, as of right now, if, if, if one of us, uh, we need some type of spray bottle with some better solution or some Lysol products or something, uh, sanitized wipes if possible, that will help out. Because if, if, if we have nothing to uh, basically wipe and sanitize that sink because they took away the spray bottles. We have on the line Sis Johanna of Campaign to Bring Mumia Home, who likewise was just holding down this solidarity action that we were discussing with Grace in solidarity with Palestinian Prisoners Day, as well as global abolitionist solidarity against prison slavery in times of outbreak or otherwise. And so we know that this action just went down at MDC Brooklyn. We know that there's been phone zaps all day, social media facts, not only making sure that everyone is, is aware of the conditions that heads are under in prison slavery right now in New York and in the U.S., but also uh, all the way across to Occupy Palestine, where similarly they're under uh, brutal conditions of repression, similarly targeting and attacking youth uh, for incarceration. So, uh, Sister Johanna, uh, some of us have seen the strong, strong work that you and many other abolitionists were doing directly on the ground um, outside of the federal facility at MDC Brooklyn. Could you just start us off with uh, a brief summary, if you can, of, of, of what all you experienced and, and how, how this uh, was for you 
uh, to, to be engaged in this action in spite of this uh, virus outbreak and the various uh, regulations that are, that are being put out to try and keep us from connecting with our sisters and brothers on the inside? So, yes, uh, as you mentioned, today is Palestinian Prisoner Solidarity Day. And in solidarity with uh, prisoners from Palestine to New York City and beyond, we gathered uh, here in Brooklyn at around 4.30. A car caravan drove over to the prison and we chanted um, from the river to the sea, all prisoners must be free, um, alongside other abolitionist chants. And there were some of us uh, on bike and others by car. We had um, colorful signs. And uh, we essentially stood in front of the facility, chanting, honking our horns, making noise, and it was pretty incredible to hear prisoners banging their windows um, loudly, very, very loudly. Uh, they were clearing, clearly hearing us, and we clearly heard them, and it's a very emotional thing, this thing we call solidarity. It makes us feel that everything we're told uh, in this American uh, empire, that we must stand alone and that we rise and fall and our individual action essentially falls apart because we can't survive without um, the collective. And, and so hearing the prisoners banging on the windows loudly, and I imagine that they heard us loudly, just gives us a sense that, that together, inside and outside, we might be able to stop what um, is likely an attempt at um, genocide on the part of the system. I mean, what else can you call it? Essentially, you have prisons uh, across the country that are overpopulated. The possibility of physical distancing is pretty much impossible. And you have uh, COVID-19 running rampant, essentially. And our demand is that all prisoners be released. It's time to decarcerate the least. We are demanding, and uh, we're demanding a lot more, is for prisoners who are immunocompromised and prisoners who are over the age of 50 to be immediately released. Uh, we have quite a number of demands here from prisoners across the world. In, um, in Palestine, uh, the Palestinian prisoners' movement is asking for immediate action to be taken uh, in their protection to protect them uh, they're asking that all prisoners be tested at Ofer um, prison where uh, coronavirus is already detected and they're asking that uh, section 13 in particular which is located next to section 14 where there are children detainees be um, be tested uh, prisoners are also demanding that the Israeli prisoner services start conducting daily counts via cameras and from a distance we all know that guards are taking um, coronavirus inside the prison and so Palestinian prisoners are demanding 
that Israeli prisoners who are conducting life as if nothing were happening. They're, they're coming in and out of the prisons without proper uh, PPE, that they stop uh, entering the prison and that they conduct the counts that they must conduct um, uh, via, via camera. Uh, and I think that people who are here in the United States uh, are probably saying that in addition to that, Israeli prisoners who are essentially fighting for the freedom of their land should be released. Um, there are folks at Rikers Island um, who have refused to leave their dorms. There's a dorm in Rikers with 45 inmates. Um, and those uh, 45 inmates in that one dorm have refused to leave to eat or um, engage in their work duties. And um, they're saying that the lack of PPE and cleaning supplies um, is a problem and that these must be given to inmates or to prisoners. Um, they're saying that the crowded living conditions imposed on them prior to the pandemic um, are now worse uh, because more inmates or prisoners are in fact being added to the facility. Uh, and many of these uh, prisoners who are being added to the facility are likely to have been exposed to COVID-19. Um, so this is outrageous that uh, police are continuing to imprison people in this moment, and so the call is for the end of arrest in this period. Um, there's a call and a demand uh, for uh, the end of the arbitrary disconnection of phones for three hours in the morning. Um, so apparently phones are being disconnected for three hours in the morning and, and there is a demand for that to stop. And um, the, the prisoners at Rikers are demanding that um, uh, the system essentially uphold the demands of the Board of Corrections. This is outrageous that even the Board of Corrections is saying that all prisoners over the age of 50 be released that all prisoners who are in only for parole violations be released, that all prisoners who are immunocompromised and at high risk of dying be released, um, that all prisoners with less than a year of sentence, of, uh, uh, with less than a year of sentence time be released. Um, and uh, there is also a solidarity action that's happening um, at Hudson County. Uh, there are striking prisoners right now at Hudson County who are in solidarity with, um, with prisoners around the country and in, in, the, in the state. Uh, there are also uh, demands at MDC Manhattan historically known as the tombs, and their demands are that um, tests be administered immediately throughout the facility, that uh, the prison provide hygiene products uh, and sanitize common objects, including phones. You can imagine 
uh, tag. The situation with the phones is is a disaster. Prisoners have to continue to be in touch with the outside world, with their friends and families and loved ones. And the only way they can do that is through a phone. So those phones um, are um, conductors of the of the virus, and they're demanding that the phones be regularly um, cleaned, and that each person be provided with a tablet so that they can be in touch with their families and with the outside world rather than having to use the phones. Anyway, I can go on, but I'm trying to identify um, the demands uh, that are coming from the inside. Um, and folks are organizing, folks are concerned. This is a moment when we're essentially fighting for our lives. That that couldn't be truer. And so much appreciated for, for that thorough uh, rundown and update as far as the demands coming out uh, from inside uh, here and to all the way to Palestine at Ofer. You mentioned uh, Hudson County. You mentioned at the tombs as well as Rikers, and we know so many of these prison plantations globally uh, are coalescing around these demands. As usual, when heads on the inside are making these demands, they are common sense, basic human rights demands with regard to let's not expose them to this deadly virus. Let's make sure the heads on the inside can be in contact with their family however they can because they are not in direct contact, of course, uh, where they are, uh, the, the, the ones that are overseeing them can go in and out, uh, in many instances, further exposing them to this virus. But those who are in captivity, of course, cannot. And so these are, these are fundamental human rights demands. So I greatly appreciate you, uh, going over um, some of those. Tag, if I may interject, um, and thank you also again, Sister Johanna, for joining us. Um, you know, just common sense as well. Um, definitely they speak to just, uh, human rights, but common sense. Now, as I've thought about it and, and we've done our reporting, uh, since this started and it makes sense if, you know, the vulnerability to those in the prison aren't the prisoners themselves, but the ones who lead, who, who leave and go out into the community and then come back. So it seems to me, you know, like the prisoners were saying, the system and whether we talking about the federal system or, or any individual state system, as well as the private prisons, that if they were really taking it serious, that those, uh, uh, excuse me, those COs, those correction officers, those overseers would be forced to, to live on, on site at the prison, no going in and out. Once you've been cleared, you know, and, and everybody's cleared and doesn't have it, it um, then, you know, it doesn't make any sense to allow them to go out into the, to the world, so to speak, so that they can then bring it back. And, you know, number of reports that I have heard from the inside prisoners um, saying that, you know, some of the guards not taking it serious. And then um, I do know out of New York that the the correction officer union, whatever the name of it is, is, is some of those correction officers are reporting that um, their personal family doctors that they go to have told them, you know, um, they're showing symptoms and they need to quarantine themselves. And the, um, the uh, uh, administrators are forcing them to come to work. 
You know, so we put out a podcast uh, about it on New Abolitionist Radio for anybody wants to check that out. But it doesn't make sense to, you know, allow the guards to go to come in and come out. They should be sheltering in place if they're going to work there. I think it's time, it's high tide for exposing the system for the illegitimate system it is. Um, If we think about it, the United States has grown um, the system of hyper-incarceration of some people in the United States and not others. Uh, Certain communities have been targeted with over-policing. People have gone to prison for um, marijuana sales at a moment when marijuana is now being sold um, for profit openly and legally. Uh, across the country, especially in disproportionately white states. Um, there has been an enormous amount of over-sentencing, uh, and that's why we have the system of, a ma- of mass incarceration. At some point, you have to ask, you know, uh, does the system even make sense to continue? If we take a step back, the people who should really be in prison are the people who are presiding over a system of capitalism that is willing to let people die rather than produce more ventilators, more medicine, more masks, and PPE. I mean, those are the real criminals. Uh, The real criminals are um, the folks who have launched wars that have killed millions of people in places like Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria. Um, I think we have to say let let our people go. We, We have to say let our people go. It's black and Latino people in prison. We have now heard what we've known, that black and Latino people in the United States are two times more likely to die of COVID-19 um, than white people. Even the president has been pressured uh, to acknowledge that reality. And if that's the case out here, um, what makes you think or what makes anybody think that the system of hyper-incarceration is any more legitimate? It's not. Uh, we know that people are in prison because the court system the court system is racist, the judges are racist, the cops are racist. Um, the cops are not deployed to the suburbs. If the cops were deployed to the suburbs, there's probably more drug use in the suburbs than in urban centers. Uh, those folks would be in prison, but they're not. Um, if there's no equal justice in the United States, uh, and there's never been, uh, then the system is not legitimate and we need to call for abolition. And especially at a moment when people are pretty much being sentenced to death, uh, they need to be let go. If the state cannot ensure the health of prisoners, people need to go home. No question about it. Absolutely. And so... I know that that you uh, have limited minutes with us right now. Uh, I wanted to see if if you had any uh, closing thoughts on this, and we will make sure to stay on top of this and absolutely reach out uh, to see if if you can be back on to uh, further discuss this development and the various contradictions under slavery capitalism that you just spoke to. 
Uh, I will just say that at NBC, there were like four or five cops there who were harassing us. And uh, they were just following orders, much like the Nazis follow orders. Uh, so they told us. And, you know, it was, uh, it was pathetic, of course, because they were giving us tickets. That, so they issued tickets to the cars that were out there because we were supposedly blocking traffic. Of course, uh, in this COVID-19 moment, there were very few cars in the street outside of this prison, but they issued tickets nonetheless, and we hope to be able to challenge these tickets in court. Um, I'll say, uh, I wanted to say something that escapes me um, right now, but um, I think this is really truly the moment to uh, call for abolition and to expose the illegitimacy of the system. I mean, the entire system of capitalism is being exposed. It's it's showing, um, I don't know if I can curse, but it's showing its ass, essentially. The system is literally willing to let people die. The president and um, his cronies are essentially saying that we need to open up the economy. Uh, and the only thing that that tells us is that we are the ones who produce profits for the economy. <laughs> uh, so the power, we have the power. We produce surplus value. We produce the profits. Without us, the system does not work. And it's really high time for us to take back our power and say, um, let our people go. Um, we want to create a society in which people lead meaningful lives, in which people have decent education, decent jobs, um, decent health care, um, and uh, own and control their lives. And we're not going to organize society in the interest of, of, of your profits. We want to organize society to meet human needs. I mean, this, there's no there's no moment like now to uh, to take a stand and to say we're not going to continue to allow the rampant abuse um, of human life that is allowed to exist under capitalism. Absolutely, slavery and genocide, founding principles of, of uh, these United States, and uh, it, it, it has to it has to stop somewhere. Greatly appreciate again. Uh, you stepping through with us after this strong action outside of NBC Brooklyn, and we really and the struggle like continues, to, of course. And the struggle, you know. and the and the struggle absolutely continues. We campaign to bring Mumia home, uh, Sister Johanna Fernandez, uh, also the host of It's a Good Day on WBAI. Check that out. Check out campaign to bring Mumia home at bringmumiahome.com and greatly appreciate you uh, and, and, and the struggle that you're continuing to, to hold down out here. Absolutely, and we'll be in touch with you again soon. My name is Derek Rooney. I'm at AMKC, which is C95, Crest, Missouri, and I'm Rock is out. And I'm in a dormitory setting with uh, 50, 49 other inmates. Situation where I'm at, there's a couple of guys that's a little older, like middle age, some guys in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. 
sixties, a couple of guys were sick. They took them out, they quarantined them, and they put them in a different facility, which is um, C-76. They housed them over here. So since that happened, you know, there's no type of, like, um, let's say space. So all the beds were in walls. They were there like three feet from each other. So there's no space. Or we all breathe in the same air. There's no ventilation. No, um, no one came in and cleaned anything. So we have our own little, little janitors that come in and we, within ourselves, we'll spray down whatever kind of solution they give us, and we we'll try to keep the areas clean. And if a guy is actually moved out, we'll take all his belongings and we'll dispose of it. But they're not coming in and cleaning. They're walking around with masks on, so they're kind of scared as well. So you know, they come in with the masks and the gloves. with this 
this coronavirus. No one knows. And if anyone complains about being thinking they have it, they take it away, they quarantine it, they don't even hear from the people. So we would like, like this to be handled appropriately. And like our family should be knowing like what's going on. We like we need to know as well. Just pray for us. Keep us in mind, keep us in thoughts and hopefully someone to help us. Because we're here, we just here, we just here isolated from the world. We have no clue what's going on. And a lot of, a lot of correction officers are saying, a lot of families are saying that it's really rough out here. And they're in the dark as well, too. So we're like at the bottom of the totem pole, but we still have rights to the stereotype. And we like to know what's going on. Uh, we're, we're catching up again with Bailey uh, representing IWOC NYC. As we now know, uh, there's been some uh, further actions around this Palestinian Prisoners Day uh, support and solidarity that's been going on all throughout the day. Uh, we spoke with Grace earlier as well as uh, Sister Johanna, and they were telling us about what all was going on at MDC Brooklyn, and now we're seeing some images coming out uh, outside of MDC Manhattan, also known as the tombs, and seen some uh, projections up uh, on the side of the tombs. So uh, greatly appreciate you taking a second, Bailey, uh, while all this is going on. Can you just um, update us as to to, uh, your experience out on the ground outside of MDC Manhattan, also known as the tombs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a group about a, a little over a, a dozen folks, maybe total, um, maybe more in cars. It's hard to tell <laughs> who else in the, in the cars. We've had several, um, a small motorcade this whole time. Um, yeah, and we, we've been on either side of the tomb. Um, it seems like folks have been able to hear us inside. We've been getting some flickering light. Um, so that's good news. I mean, that's why we're here. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, we, we were really excited to be able to communicate um, through the walls um, and, and know that, you know, we're, we're being heard. Um, so yeah, and we're, we're still going. Um, there's a bunch of cars pulled over to the side of one street um, and there's still traffic moving through. So folks are, you know, witnessing uh, the action um, as well, just going through their daily lives. Uh, so yeah, it's it's um, so far, you know, there's been no uh, interruptions. Um, we've just been left to it. Um, hopefully, it remains that way. Uh, but yeah, we've been going at it for a little over an hour now, and um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely been spirited and energized. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm super glad to be here. No doubt, and and we appreciate that that you're there and that you're keeping us up to speed on what's going on there. So uh, could you speak to, in comparison to MDC Brooklyn earlier today, uh, we know that there was some uh, slave patroller activity there, you know, some some ticketing and, and some uh, very petty kinds of interactions from their part. Uh, you said that it's it's been uh, less so uh, here at the tombs, is, is that right? Have, have you encountered any uh, patrollers? And if not, uh, what do you think is the difference between those mm-hmm. two spots? Right, it's a good question. Um, I do know that the Illuminator folks who I haven't had a chance to catch up with, they had to peel out because um, apparently they were approached. Um, so, uh, yes, they, but as, as far as we know, no, no tickets as yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a really, I don't know, I feel like these were 
which I think always baffle me as to when and, and why <laughs> crackdowns happen. Um, so I, I wish I had a clear answer as to, you know, motives at MDC versus um, here. But um, yeah, and I, I do wonder, you know, MDC Brooklyn is, is a bit more remote and isolated here, um, is a more pedestrian residential traffic area. So I'm assuming that has, you know, something to do with it. But um, yeah, I wish I had more answers. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that. And you mentioned the illuminator. Uh, so we wanted to just get a clearer sense um, if you don't mind elaborating on, uh, you know, uh, what these uh, Illuminator heads were doing as part of this action. And um, if you could just kind of describe for us uh, how, how that's looking from your vantage point on the ground. I know that there were some there were some live streams that occurred. So ideally heads can check those out um, if they're still posted. But could you just um, expound a bit on the Illuminator's role in this action? Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the idea with having larger scale projections um, was really hopefully to get messages inside the folks um, to, you know, let them know that we're out here fighting with them. Um, so the goal was to find a surface that we could project on that they could ideally see. Um, so yeah, they, the Illuminator was projecting on one of the um, civic court buildings. It's just a big flat slab of concrete <laughs> uh, with no windows. So it was like an ideal surface kind of diagonally across from the tomb. And, um, you know, we really have no way of knowing at this point how effective it was that people could see. But hopefully, ideally, in the next few days, we can reach out to folks inside and get a sense of of how successful that was. Um, but it was really visible, at least from the street. Um, and yeah, uh, so we're really thankful for them pulling through. Um, yeah, and they're, you know, sharing their skills with us tonight. No doubt. And so if heads inside were able to see and, and read what was up there, this could be something moving forward to uh, cut through some of the barriers that they be creating, you know, as far as contact uh, with heads on the inside. Um, could you share a bit as far as what was projected uh, on this wall across from the tombs and, and uh, what messages uh, were being conveyed there? Uh, yes. Um, I'm getting a little distracted because I'm noticing some cop activity pulling up on some comrades, uh, a cop car pulling up next to them. But it looks like they're uh, moving past, so hopefully that's all. Um, yeah, they're, they're zooming now. Okay. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah, some of the messages, um, mostly a lot of the hashtags that we've been um, associating with this action throughout the day. Um, yeah, so just, you know, abolition from NYC to Palestine. Um, um, of that nature, but also, of course, demands from the inside that we've received, um, you know, just showing that we're hearing their demands. Uh, we thought it was important to have it displayed um, where they could see it just so, you know, they know that um, their um, needs are being communicated with us out here. So things like PT for prisoners, um, personal protective equipment, that is, um, and um, grant emergency clemency um, and using some there's a hashtag from Greenhaven folks upstate um, coming from inside that was really powerful um, just um, you know prisoners matter um, so 
Yeah, and I think too, just some messages to uh, relating, you know, this current state of affairs on the outside to uh, what is daily um, reality for folks inside. Um, you know, this idea of like sheltering in place and, and quarantine is is really, um, you know, what what incarcerated folks have been dealing with for um, some of them decades. So, um, trying to make uh, that narrative clear as well to folks outside. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And, and speaking of making sure that these messages from the inside are, are being heard and being acknowledged, there were some recorded messages that Heads on the Inside put together for this particular action. Uh, could you share a bit of, you know, what, what was your experience as far as hearing that? Uh, what were some of the main uh, takeaways for you as far as uh, what, what was uh, most important to those uh, communicating from the inside that they wanted to share uh, on this day of Palestinian prisoner solidarity and, and general abolitionist solidarity? Um, oh, um, unfortunately, I... Uh... I haven't really, since, since I've arrived at this action, um, which I, to be fair, I was like 15 minutes later, so I haven't heard any of those messages today. Um, I did hear snippets on the live stream earlier from NBC Brooklyn. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm not, uh, I feel somewhat unprepared to answer the question. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, it, it still stands um, worth raising the importance of, of having those um, voices shared. And I mean, from what I what I did hear, you know, it's just um, I mean, people just asking for for folks to to come home. I mean, there's really that's like the bottom line at this point. Um, and yeah, I, I I wish that I could elaborate more. Well, hi Bailey. <laughs> hi Bailey. This is Scotty. Uh, good to hear your voice again. And um, on this important day of action, you out there on the front lines. Um, yeah, just wanted to interject that we will, uh, in this podcast, we'll have those uh, interviews available. So, you know, once we publish the podcast, you'll be able to check them out on New Abolitionist Radio. Tag. Yeah, you don't have to publish that last answer. <laughs> I, was, I was not, uh, sorry, it was a little scrambly. <laughs> no, 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 all, all good, all good. Certainly recognize the, the circumstances and we want to make sure that, that you're just keeping yourself out of, out of uh, Slave Patroller way and, and, and looking out for, you know, your comrades while you're out there. So um, absolutely, absolutely hear that. As for the, those with loved ones on the inside, family members, uh, those, those who are looking to connect across uh, these prison plantation bars um, directly and are being denied that contact, given that visits have, you know, been shut down in a lot of instances, even phone calls and other means of communication are, are being blocked, uh, oftentimes arbitrarily. Uh, what has been your experience today uh, as far as, as that part of this action? Uh, how important is it uh, from what you can tell for those with loved ones on the inside to be able to at least share some modicum of, of that uh, direct connection uh, that that is denied at them denied them um, at so many different turns. Um, oh my gosh, I think it's you know it's crucial. Um, it's been really inspiring um, to see these messages coming out so powerfully and clearly uh, today. Um, and you know, moving forward, I don't see how you could have an action outside without 
these messages lined up, um, especially like it's, it's really on us to take it into our hands to make sure that communication lines are as open as possible between the inside and outside, and especially loved ones, considering the amount of, um, you know, barriers and, um, yeah, the straight up denial, as you said, tag um, of things like visits and, um, you know, the fact that communication is um, a means of profit for, um, you know, the plantation workers. So, yeah, I think um, the the more avenues that we can open um, just as a community for folks to be able to get their messages across, um, really um, the stronger um, our ties between inside and outside can be. So, yeah, that's definitely been uplifting uh, to see that, um, yeah, spreading uh, through the actions today. And do you have any final thoughts that you want to share about uh, this action as as you continue to uh, hold down this uh, continuum of struggle, hold down uh, this this ongoing communication to those on the inside and, and to all of us as far as what their demands are? Um, is there anything that you want to leave us with, especially given this uh, new climate uh, with the outbreak and, and uh, it requiring new approaches to uh, tactics uh, on the ground as far as actions and demonstrations are concerned? Um, yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, it's just supposed to show that, um, you know, there's always a way <laughs> to make this possible um, for, for folks to um, take direct action. Um, yeah, I feel like it's been really successful today despite all the limitations put upon us right now and, um, you know, in this time of quarantine. Um, so there's always a way um, and it's always needed everywhere, um, outside every facility. Um, you know, it, 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 it's all or nothing. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I just think that, you know, we just got to keep the momentum going. Um, especially uh in this you know i i feel like the uh i feel like the um um apologies i lost my train of thought <laughs> a little distracted um yeah i think i might just have to end it there sorry there's <laughs> um things are starting to shut down out here so um but hopefully that's a, a you know a, a note to end on um but yeah <laughs> No doubt. Again, much appreciated. And, and just y'all continue to keep each other safe out there and keep us posted uh, as needed. Absolutely. Will do. And thank you so much for taking the time to call and check in. Firstly, you know, the my brothers and sisters in Palestine are very, very close to my heart as a Muslim and as a human being. You know, and that, and that goes to, you know, every Palestinian, regardless of creed. Um, now, how we are, how, how we are connected, you know, there's a lot of connections. You know, number one, you know, the police in the United States and the and the and the, and the Israeli police, you know, they often learn from each other. You know. Uh, they use the same. They use the same equipment. They use the same surveillance equipment. You know, they they train each other. You know, there there have been 
that police officers and, you know, and prison guards and various uh, mercenary groups learn tactics that they learn tactics from, you know, the Israeli occupation forces to use against black and brown people in the United States, you know, uh, because what's going on in the United States, especially in the hood right now, is the same it's the same sort of counterinsurgency warfare that's going on in, in on the streets of Palestine and the streets of Gaza, you know. So so that's that's the connection that I see between us, you know. The same surveillance camera, the same surveillance camera that is uh, filming me right now, you know, is the same surveillance camera from the same company <laughs> that is filming uh, Palestinian prisoners as we speak. So those are the those are the material um, connections, uh, you know, on top of the spiritual connections that we have as, as two different people. Since the COVID nineteen pandemic started, uh, you know, first at first it was it was gra- it was gradual, you know. First they uh, canceled visits, you know, legal and social. Um, then they uh, then they started you know basically put us on a modified schedule you know where you know they had the library you know could only have two ten ten prisoners at a time you know commissary could only have ten prisoners at a time stuff like that you know but there was no social distancing measures to uh, that that were in place such as releasing people you know because it's it's impossible to practice social distancing here. So, you know, despite those measures being put in place, you had a prisoner, unfortunately, die in Oakdale, Louisiana. And this was on or about April 1st. And that's when, you know, that's, that's when they locked down the entire BOP. The day before they locked down, they locked down. They didn't tell us they were about to lock down, by the way. I found out via NPR <laughs> that they were locking us down. You know, they didn't make any announcement about it. It's just one day, you know, we woke up and we were locked in the cell, you know. So the day before we we were locked down, they, they forced me to find a celly. And I felt like that was a public health that was an affront to public health you know outside you're you're telling people to socially distance but in a cell you there you can't even be six feet apart from somebody in the cell because the cell isn't even six feet long or six feet wide so i did not find the celly and i you know passively refused you know and so then they forced me to move to another cell with somebody. And they did that with uh, a couple other people who did the same thing as me. Um, so now I have a celly, you know, good brother, good brother. I get along with him well, but at the same time, that's irrelevant if we both have the virus. You know, if God forbid, you know, uh, it comes here. Um, so... So yeah, so we've been we've been locked down 24 hours a day. Um, uh, everything shut down in the BOP. 
the unicorn, everything, you know. So I sort of do see uh, an upside to this in that. This call is from a federal prison. In that, too, uh, if, if this goes on, this is going to be, uh, you know, a very uh, untenuous situation, you know, because, I mean, they're not making any money. You know, Unicor is shut down. Commissary is, for the most part, shut down with a $25 spending limit. If it wasn't for that uh, federal stimulus money, you know, they, they would probably be heading towards the crisis, you know. Those are pretty much my experiences here. You know, there hasn't, I haven't seen any uh, brutal behavior on the part of the guards or anything like that. You know, they've actually sort of been civil, you know. It's a lockdown without the air of collective punishment that most lockdowns have. Um, and now I'm speaking from the experience of myself and just of Georgia. Other prisoners are going to have different experiences. I just want to uh, emphasize that. You know, we all have different experiences. But that is my experience here, you know. There seems to be a lot more mutual aid among prisoners. Um, you know, guys handing out ice to people, like orderlies who are let out the, let out the cell more. Giving people ice and hot water who can't because they're locked in the cell. You know, so there's been a lot more mutual aid like that, and that's a good sign. Um, but other than that, that's pretty much, that's pretty much what's been going on. Uh, over here, uh, thankfully nobody's sick. It's just a fear as we listen to the news every day, you know, that, you know, we, we worry about our loved ones. We worry about, you know, we worry about ourselves. Like if it, if it, if it's here, because, you know, prison is already a humanitarian crisis. And so this virus is just exposing a humanitarian crisis for what it is, you know with the overcrowding, with the overpopulation, with the, with the negligence, the medical negligence. You know, we hope it doesn't come here, you know, like it has in other prisons. Is there anything, you know, that you would want to express, uh, especially to those on the inside um, in, in these New York uh, prison slavery institutions as well as on the outside? Yeah, I mean, shout out to them, you know, just just want to express my solidarity, you know, love you all, you know, from the island to MDC to MCC to up north, you know, uh, just stay strong, you know, and for that, for, for everybody on the outside, this is your time to, you know, this is your time at the moral support for, for prisoners especially during this time, and to, and to step up the agitation. What are the similarities between two oppressed communities that are separated by many miles? Uh, the African-American community in the United States and the Palestinian community in Israel. Well, the oppressed share oppression with others who are oppressed. That, uh, there was, back in the late 19th century, a black American leader who advocated for calling black people in the United States essentially the oppressed, uh, because that was so much a part of our identity. 
that is a core identity for the Palestinians um, because we both suffer from the imposition of settler states. And um, these are kind of European transplants around the world that had an ideology of repression and oppression from its very inception. And so they had to create myths to support uh, their states. And it is a great deal of similarity between the founding myths of the United States and the founding myths of Israel. And both of them use spiritual systems, one Christian, the other Judaic, to support those founding myths. But oppression... This is a call from Pennsylvania State Correctional Institution, Mahanoy. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. When the oppressed in one place support the oppressed in another place, both are lifted and both are given different visions of possibilities of liberation from the other. I do know that, you know, during the life of the Black Panther Party, 50-plus years ago now, that uh, they inspired communities all around the world because of their freedom fight. And, you know, freedom is addictive. Everybody wants to be free. So to see and oppress people fighting for freedom is a great and healthy addiction. Number two. Uh, You were talking about people in Rikers and other prisons in New York. I don't think it's very different, no matter what state we're talking about. Because wherever we are in the United States, we're talking about what? The incarceral state. We're talking about the repercussions of the neoliberal state, which essentially gave birth mass incarceration in the United States. Isn't it interesting that we look at mass incarceration now as normal, as every day, and we look at the notion of decarceration as somehow weird or crazy. That's how far we are from freedom. And now in the midst of a pandemic, we heard about Cook County near Chicago, the county jail. This is a call from Pennsylvania State Correctional Institution, Mahanoy. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. With over 400 uh, county prisoners contracting uh, coronavirus. And we're looking at a recipe for disaster and chaos. I don't know what the numbers are in New York. I've heard that in Philadelphia some 18 people were infected, but that was several days ago. I'm sure it's grown since then. But if you think of just the possibility of it spreading in a correctional institution, a prison, where you're looking at disaster, and the solution has to be liberation and freedom. Uh, And we need to break the illusion, the deadly illusion of mass incarceration once and for all. Can you give a, a message to the prisoners, a message of uplift to the prisoners themselves? I would say talk to your families, talk to your friends, and talk to them about building a movement for freedom. I mean, it's as simple as that. People don't know the strength that they have. 
because they're the people, they have all the power in the world. They can recharge freedom movements that have been quiet and quiescent for years. That's because when the people stand up, the whole world has to take notice. This is a perfect moment for freedom for thousands and thousands of people in the mass incarceration state. But the people must take advantage of this moment and speak about what it means to really have healthy communities and not have these unhealthy, dirty, vicious places we call prisons. Prisons are not normal. They're creations of states. They're creations of neoliberalism. And that illusion, that deadly illusion, must be shattered once and for all. This is a perfect moment to reconsider what health looks like in an unhealthy state. Um, I was shocked when I read about how the vast majority of people, or at least 40% of people, were dying from this pandemic, are black or Hispanic. I mean, that's, that's really incredible. And what it means is that even before the pandemic began, there was a health emergency in black communities and Puerto Rican and Hispanic communities. And I think that's because, you know, when you look at um, barrios or ghettos, what you often find are food deserts where people find it virtually impossible to get fresh fruit fresh vegetables, living foods, and, you know, we we tank up on foods that have high salt intakes, uh, potato chips, you know, foods that are not really healthy, but it's healthy foods that sustain life, and not commercial food that has been pushed on us for decades. We have high rates of diabetes for similar reasons. We have high rates of obesity for similar reasons. And we need to think about sustaining and extending our lives so that we can live it uh, to the best that we can for as long as we can, even in this oppressed society. So, you know, we need healthy communities to be a healthy people. And uh, unless and until we do that, we're going to have serious problems. So you need to think about the pandemic, but you need to also think about what was the situation before the pandemic. All of those things are related. Here's another point. I'm amazed that, like, Bernie stepped off at a moment that seems written for history, for him to make a real contribution. That is, health care for all as a human right. You heard him say it a hundred times. But it's never been clearer than now. Healthcare must be a human right for all people in this country. Because without that, without health, you have nothing. And already the existing system has been stretched to infinity. It has been broken. It cannot serve the numbers of people that need health care services. I'm hearing about hospitals and health care clinics um, 
refusing to do elective surgeries because they are inundated with coronavirus cases. They don't have the equipment they need to protect themselves. We shouldn't have a situation where nurses and doctors and EMTs are dying because they don't have the equipment they need to protect themselves to perform their medical function. That, to me, is an example of how capitalism kills. And instead of saving the lives of human beings, that's a fundamental failure of the status quo. From imprisoned nations, you know, think about this. When I say imprisoned nations, I'm talking about people in mass incarceration units and county jails and prisons. But right now, think about in prison nation, and the whole nation, or at least 90% of this nation, is in prison. Now, they might be in home confinement, but in some ways, if you're elderly or alone, or you don't have a partner, or your children don't live with you, you're in solitary confinement. You're locked in by the powers of the state. Those things need to change, because the system's that underlie our present are no longer functioning. The United States of America with the highest number of deaths from coronavirus in the world and half a million plus infections is a failed state for all intents and purposes. From the new imprisoned nation, this is Mumia Abu. Just want to again express full appreciation to Grace, Sis Johanna, and Bailey, all of whom were representing from live on the ground on this day of prisoners' uh, action uh, from New York to Palestine. Uh, we're making sure that those who are imprisoned out here on the prison plantations in the U.S., uh, in occupied Palestine, everywhere in between, are, are being recognized and that we are doing can to make sure that uh, they be released uh, sooner than later and not to allow this outbreak to continue to run through these cages where uh, heads are extremely vulnerable. So um, really appreciate their contribution and everyone else who has been uh, working on this um, all day and all throughout uh, this struggle because it continues whether there's an outbreak or there isn't. Uh, definitely keep checking out on social media and elsewhere as these actions continue. Um, the IWOC NYC social media is uh, doing uh, constant updates and there's uh, websites from some of the other organizations as well, uh, groups like Sami Dun and Adamir, uh, Jewish, Jewish Voices for Peace, Campaign to Bring Mumia Home, It's Up to Us to End Mass Incarceration, so many groups, uh, Vocal NY, uh, just a, a, a whole slew of groups that are getting together out here to make sure that uh, the voices of those under prison slavery are heard and that we continue to keep this fight on the foreground um, because we want, as so long as they're enslaved, then all of us are, are subject to this type of enslavement and, and it could be any of us at a moment's notice. Uh, much appreciated. <laughs>